hello and good evening everyone from the highest point on FSU campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, the greatest, and the Florida status in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Live on Facebook at Tomahawk Talk for the first 15 minutes of the show. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at Talk underscore Tomahawk. Well, gentlemen, it has been quite the long week in sports, and I know that we are, it'd be a very blanket statement, but a lot has happened within the past couple of days in of itself. World Series has been set. Michigan State groundskeeping crew may get a raise. Uh, NFL trades are starting to come out of the wet work. Mark Cooper got dealt to the Cowboys earlier today for a first-round pick, and uh, Patrick Peterson has requested a trade from the Cardinals before the deadline. Scott Frost, the New Orleans Saints. Potentially. That's, that's his, is that the rumor? Yeah, that's his, well, that's his preferred that's trade That's the destination. preferred destination. Okay, we'll so, take him. <laughs> we'll take him. <laughs> Scott Frost finally won a football game at Nebraska, quite possibly being the happiest 1-6 team in the nation. Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul gave us a better fight than Mayweather versus McGregor. Hot take? Question mark? Can, can I tell you what, what upsets me about that whole situation? Sure. So I'm in, I'm in this NBA fantasy league. And guess who three of my starting players are? I'm going to take a guess and say Chris Paul, Brandon Ingram, and uh, Ray John Rondo. Ray John Rondo. You'd be right. You would be right. <laughs> I, I'm just a wizard. I, I had no so. idea how I would guess such a thing. I guess so. But I think out of all those things uh, that made this weekend a long weekend, there's nobody that had a longer weekend than the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, we're just going to leave that where it is. We've got a Wake Forest game to talk about, a Clemson game to preview, and a whole lot more to come later on in the show. But what is a captain without his crew? I am joined tonight, as always, by my good friend and co-host, and possibly the happiest Dodger fan in the room. Probably the only Dodger. Are you probably the, I, I probably so. the only Dodger fan so. in the room. Not the only Dodger supporter, from what I hear. But and then and then we've got a couple others in the room as well. Chris Camacho, game one tomorrow night at eight o'clock. How do you think it's going to go down? Uh, yeah. He, he, of, the butterflies are already yeah, setting in. Yeah, the thing is, I'm I'm honestly really excited. I think this is going to be an amazing series. Uh, I think it's I think it is going to become a classic. There's just a lot of history going into it. Um, this is the first time the Dodgers are playing the Red Sox in a World Series since 1916. It's been 102 years since they last met. Um, and also, I, I what do they always say about history? What's that famous saying? History always repeats itself. Exactly. Last year. You had the best team in the major leagues, the Dodgers. T- uh, they, they beat the previous World Series champions uh, in five games before moving on to the World Series where they faced the Houston Astros, who took their championship series all the way to seven games to beat the Dodgers in seven games. This year, you have, uh, you have the Red Sox, who beat the previous World Series champions in five games, coming into this series as the best team in baseball. And now you have the Dodgers, who had to take their championship series to seven games. So, if history will repeat itself, I think the Dodgers, I think history is on the side of the Dodgers. History is on the side of the Dodgers. You heard it here first. And uh, making his Tomahawk uh, debut tonight, Lucas Vieta, about as big as a Heat fan as you can find anywhere. We're hopefully going to get some basketball in tonight. It's Dwayne Wade's final season in Miami. How, How bittersweet are you already feeling? Oh, very. He's been my favorite player since I started watching NBA, so... Yeah, it's definitely going to be a wild season. Wild season, indeed. And also, you thought there was only one Tomahawk to, uh, Tomahawk Talk debut tonight. You are incorrect. There is two debuts, and 
uh, Alex Krutchik. We tried to get him on a few weeks ago, but unfortunately there was a tiny storm named Michael that threw a big wrench in those plans, but he is on tonight. Welcome to the show, man. How are you feeling? Uh, pretty good. I got my Marlins jersey on. I'm repping the fact that for the first time in about 15 years, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a Marlins fan. <laughs> <laughs> really? After after the season that we had? Um, well, well, we it, well, after the news that well, after the news that dropped today, I don't know. Is that is that one of the big reason as to why you were feeling very uppity about the Marlins today? It is. We finally made um, a good move that didn't include throwing 50 million dollars at a aging pitcher that wasn't any good anymore. <laughs> Uh, Chris Camacho, Lucas Vieta, Alex Krutchek, and once again, I'm your host, Nick Carlisle, and we are starting off the top, which, if you don't know, is the segment where I take a look at the previous week in sports and pick a big story or topic and throw it at our panelists, forcing them to come up with answers off the top of their head at the top of the show. And tonight, something that has been a running conversation in college and professional basketball over the past couple of years, and that is the rise in frequency of one-and-done players. And this past uh, week, there was a an article that stated that the NBA G League will be offering $125,000 contracts to quote-unquote elite high school players uh, that would allow them to take a quote-unquote professional path to the league. And this new program is set to be put into effect at the beginning of 2019, if I read that correctly. Guys, this is an, this is an extremely interesting uh, piece of news to me because there has been a whole lot of talk and more specifically scandal accusations across the majority of Power 5 Division 1 basketball schools when it comes to getting those elite prospects to come out and play for your school and this is an absolute game changer for a multitude of reasons but I want to get your takes first. What are your initial thoughts on this new professional path Chris? Uh, I, I don't like it to be honest. It, I think it's it's not intended to be a scam but I think it, it's it would work out worse for high school players to go immediately into a, into the G League. Yes, they're, you know, they're getting that money up front, but at the same time, you look at the at the fame and notoriety that you would get as a college athlete. You know, like if you're gonna if you're gonna choose to go into the G League where you may or may not get called up uh, to an NBA team. Granted, you you have direct access, but it's nobody really knows about you other than like huge NBA fans and or um, the teams themselves. Uh, if you're going to pass that up, if, or if you're going to pass up going to college, playing at a, at a program like Duke or, or Kansas, you know, like in play and performing in a, in a tournament like the, like March madness, I think it's just a big, it's a big deal for these kids to miss out on. So I, I don't like it. Lucas. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it either. I think that these kids that are going into this, they'll just be overshadowed by these longer, more experienced other athletes that they won't get their chance to really show their skills off. I like it. I like the idea that they're moving towards a actual minor league system rather than just a retention pond for people that aren't quite ready to get to the NBA. To be honest with you, I'm not even really sure what I think of this yet. Uh, I say all the time that I'm not a fan of one and dones, and I think it's it's detrimental to not only college basketball, but it's detrimental to the player development as well. And if you take a look at recent Florida State history, Jonathan Isaac was one of the best recruits that this program has ever received, and he actually thought about skipping coming to Florida State to go to the draft and be a, a, a mid a mid first round, maybe early second round pick, but he did decide to stay. And of course, that year's team was upset by Xavier in the round of 32. He left uh, immediately after his first year, got drafted six overall by the Magic, and then he got sent to the G League. I think in the middle of February of his first year, you know, he didn't really play well, especially when you take a look at the rest of the talent in the draft class. That was a draft class that included Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Dennis Smith Jr., Kyle Kuzma. 
I don't think there is anybody that would say to you, yeah, I'm glad he left when he did. I'm glad that, you know, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't need that extra year. Well, I guess yeah, that, that's, well al- that's also what I was, what I was getting at too, is you're also depleting the, the, the top talent that's going into these college programs. It's, they're going to sign direct. I mean, and granted, yes, it, it's at the end of the day, they're trying to get into the NBA, but I don't think you would get a guy like Jonathan Isaac or any of the other top prospects that have been going to other schools around the country um. Yeah, I just I think they would well, go somewhere else. Especially with Isaac in particular, I don't think that I mean you you can't exactly control where you're drafting unless your father is Lavar Ball. But I think that Isaac doesn't necessarily fit the the magic scheme at all, anyways. But Malik Beasley, if you remember, did the exact same th- thing the year before him, and he also spent time in the G League with the Nuggets. You know, I was more in favor of making a rule that you have to have two years of college experience before being draft eligible. So obviously this new path isn't exactly what I had in mind to stop the one and dones, but this new G League path has done, or it has so much impact, I think, in so many different areas. And it's really interesting. My first thought was, oh man, you know, what's this going to mean for college basketball? And the more and more I think about it, I think that college basketball is going to be fine because I think you truly cannot replace the feeling of college basketball. You know, there are very few things that beat competing for a national title in a grand 64 team tournament. And I think that at the end of the day, athletes are going to still opt for not just that experience, but the college experience in general. And at the end of the day, athletes are going to want to compete. Uh, they or they're not rather going to want to compete for a G League championship that pales in comparison to winning a national collegiate title in uh, you know your historic programs like Duke and Kentucky. Now, I'm not sh- well, I- I'm sure that there are definitely going to be more players that do elect to take this contract and forego college for 125,000 right out of the gate. And that on a different note is going to either severely tighten up some of these division one schools and what they're going to offer some of these young athletes because the ball is literally, and this is pun, this is not pun intended, but the ball is literally <laughs> in these players side of the court. And now you you can be getting offers and benefits because let's be honest, there's always something else extra thrown in the pot when it comes to recruiting these athletes. It's not just the scholarship, but now the players have the power to kind of play hardball with some of these schools. Uh, And I mean, just be imagine talking to like Arizona or Kentucky and think yourself, well, maybe I can't get the playing time or the benefits that I want. I can just go play in the G League and make six figures and get an identical experience just without the March Madness side of things. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, players that are competitors will go to college and those that are in it to see how far their skills can take them uh, will go to the G League. I know that sounds really negative, but I mean, really, how, think how many players in your experience, Chris, that you've talked to will openly say, yeah, yeah, that whole competition thing, you know, I'm not about it. But uh, again, that's what I assume will happen. It's going to be one of those wait and see kind of things. But I think competition will prevail. College basketball will not only survive, but maybe even thrive in weeding out some players that maybe aren't playing for the love of the game, but what the game can bring to them. So with that all being said, that was the Off the Talk segment brought to you by me, sponsored by me, created by me. Uh, I have that trademark above my head right now (laughs) for those of you. Uh, or, well, Facebook Live wasn't live tonight because we have can, ha- been having continuing technical difficulties, and we're going to try and figure that out. But um, let's get into the nitty-gritty of the show here, guys, and what I assume a lot of people are curious to talk about, and that is the Wake Forest versus Florida State game that happened this past weekend and, of course, the huge rivalry game coming this upcoming weekend with Clemson, but we'll get to that later. I, I said last week that the Wake Forest game scared me in a lot of different ways, seeing that they had nearly beaten Florida State last year, and Florida State was coming off a pretty stressful bye week with the Hurricane Michael. 
And for the first 10 minutes of the game, every single reason that why I was so afraid was coming true right before everybody's eyes. The offense looked slow. The defense was getting marched down the field by Wake Forest's up-tempo offense, which you'd think that Florida State would have would be comfortable against, considering that they, too, run an up-tempo offense. Um, it's an up-tempo, up-tempo offense. It's that supposed needs, to be. It's supposed to be. It needs some WD-40 sometimes. It, it needs a lot of WD-40. Um, it needs some fast forward. <laughs> it's so fast forward. Sometimes. Florida State finds itself behind at ten nothing uh, with about five minutes to play in the quarter, and then the defense gets a huge, huge fourth down stop. And from there on out, the momentum was permanently shifted towards the Seminoles as they, as they scored thirty eight unanswered points until a garbage time touchdown by Wake Forest makes the score a little bit more respectable. But guys, Florida State's offense looked abysmal again to start the game, and then the defense, like it's done all year, has been the catalyst that somehow some way has ignited the offense to finally get its stuff together my question is how much longer can this defense reasonably continue to kickstart the offense how long do you give them do you give them uh, this week until clemson or will they able to continue that throughout the rest of the year well the, the the truth of the matter is you need to rely on them for the remainder of the season as as they have been the driving force of this of the entirety of the team um how long can they keep it up uh, I, I think Clemson is probably, it's, it's almost like you see some cracks in the walls, especially in the beginning of this Wake Forest game. And uh, if, if, they, if the defense shows cracks against Clemson, I just don't know that they can rebound for the remainder of the game. Yeah, I mean, it definitely stinks. Um, against Syracuse, you saw probably the biggest example of what you were talking about where the offense is on the play on the field for three plays at a time, and then the defense gets right back out there. And we've gotten better in that regard, but the other thing that I was kind of thinking about was with Willie Taggart's offense, even when we're clicking on offense, the defense is still going to have to be a little bit more, I don't want to say athletic, but a little bit more um, durable because these drives, even when they work, are still going to last only a few minutes. Yeah, definitely. So when... You know, our defense, if it keeps up like this, trying to kickstart our offense, I think this week coming into Clemson, the difference between the two teams' defenses just won't really allow it for that much. So Syracuse, I'm sorry, excuse me, Wake Forest defense definitely does not have the the power, I should say, as, um, as Clemson, so it just won't work. And you think about the the type of game that the Florida State defense had to endure. I think Wake Forest ran what 104 plays. That's the most that any Florida State team has has faced ever. That I think that's that's a that's a historic record is 104 plays that this Florida State defense faced. So in that aspect, you can say, well, this well this was a very tiring game for this defense. Yeah. You know, how how are they going to be able to handle? You know, a, a Clemson offense that is considerably much better than a Wake Forest offense, but sticking just with Wake Forest in general, the offense finally got itself going. Mm-hmm. And I, it's kind of frustrating to me for me to see as a media member because it's something that we've been saying for weeks and weeks on end. And we've been saying for weeks and weeks on end that the best part of this offense, when this offense is really clicking, it is when DeAndre Francois is being able to be DeAndre Francois. And, of course, a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. The offensive line allowed zero sacks in the game for the second time this season. That first game was against Louisville. And, of course, they won that game, we know, in, in very dramatic fashion. 
But the best part of this offense, Chris, is when Florida State has the ability to throw the ball quickly and move up the field. And it's like the offensive coordinator at Walt Bell or Tagger, whoever's calling, it's like they don't still don't realize that. They continuously try to get the run going. And, of course, that is theoretically what you're supposed to be doing in the early type of the game is trying to get the run game going. But for this Florida State team, it's just not working. And it's kind of I'm, – I'm curious to know how you feel about this because it's very frustrating for me and I – and for other people who have watched this team for seven weeks now do the exact same thing. Yeah. Well, you know, you, uh, the people in the media in the, in the press box, we can, we do our coaching from up there all the time. Uh, it's, it's a bad habit. It, it really is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I just feel it's one of those where the, where you want to get the pass going all the time, but the pass is almost what it's, it's not, it's not what these teams study, I guess. And I don't know if that's why when Florida State run, relies on the pass to get these big yardage plays, if that's why they're able to to, to make such gig, uh, gigantic drives is because the defense is, almost isn't expecting it. Even though we we I'm sorry, Florida State gets significant a significant portion of their offensive yardage from the pass plays. And, you know, I know we just kind of took a little bit of a poo on the running game, but... With that being said, the running game looked as good as it's ever been all season. Cam, Cam Akers, Akers had a breakout yeah. game. Lucas, and I'm coming to you with this next question. Can, he he said during his post-game uh, press conference interview that he felt like this was the best that the entire team has played, that this was the best that he felt the offensive line had played, and this was the most complete game that Florida State has played this season. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, it definitely showed. Once, once the O-line was able to get – blocks and get their job done it shows where acres was able to play as acres plays and you can even see it in that i think it was a 55 yard touchdown run that he had I, i'm not quite sure if the yardage is exactly correct but that was about as yeah. that was about as big as a hole as he's had the entire season alex do you think that how with how strong clemson's defensive line is that he's going to have anywhere near the success that he had this past weekend um i mean you definitely hope so i mean you definitely have de uh seen a progression of the offensive line they kept saying we're going to keep getting better we're going to keep getting better and I think we all just kind of thought that was just all talk they have gotten better it was interesting though Willie Taggart at his press conference today was talking about how they're going to have an easy time preparing for Clemson's defensive line because of how good our defensive line is slow down slow down Willie <laughs> take a take a slow down just a little Clemson is actually the number 10 rush defense do we, do we, do we remember what Miami's rush defense was because there's there's already a well, lot. It's not of, in the top ten. Well, anymore, it's not in the top ten much. anymore. But at the time that Florida State played Miami, I'm I'm curious to know what the numbers were on that because in a lot of ways, this the Miami game that Florida State played a couple weeks ago, and of course the Clemson game that they're going to play this next weekend have a lot of similarities. But we're going to stick with the Wake Forest talk here just a little bit longer. And the defense, really, as I already said earlier in the show, was really the catalyst for everything that the offense was able to produce. Uh, they had a couple of key turnovers. Brian Burns, I think, well, not, not necessarily a turnover in this sense, but I think Josh Kando and Brian Burns both had two sacks. I think there were five sacks on the day total. Emmett Rice got a nice sack. He, he rushed. I mean, he was shot out of a cannon straight out of that backfield to get a, a, a sack. And to quote slowed. the tweet that... Retweeted. To, to quote the tweet that uh, of ours that he retweeted, very very happy about that. But <laughs> the, the defense was able to get turnovers, and they've actually been able to get turnovers over the course of the season. 
given knowing what we know about the Clemson offense, and I know that we're saying, I mean, everybody wants to just talk about Clemson all the time, but in the difference between this Wake Forest team and the Clemson team playing next week, how big of a factor is turnovers going to be? Uh, I, I think it's going to play a major role, and I, the big reason I say that is because if, if Florida State can get that momentum shifted in their direction, I think that is what is going to make the difference in this Clemson game. I, I mean, you, you take a look at what Florida State did to Miami in that first half. Momentum, 100%. As soon as Florida State scored that first touchdown, you kind of knew something special was going was gonna, to was gonna happen over the next 60 minutes. Um, yeah, so I, I think just being able – punching the guy first – being the first, what is that? How does that saying go? Uh, the, you just want to punch him in the mouth first, or something like that. Something, something. We'll, to we'll the, calm down, Rajan. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Got a little Laker fever in me, I guess. But my point is, it's 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 building that momentum and establishing it early. If the Florida State defense can hold uh, Clemson and 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 make turnovers, I think that can go a long way for Florida State. Alex, what's the one thing that Florida State should take away from this game and place it in uh, Clemson? Um, I mean, hopefully our offensive line keeps Francois up. I've been saying all season I wouldn't be surprised if James Blackman had to finish the game for us. And if you had asked me after the Syracuse game, I would say that Francois may not last after the first quarter. After what we saw against Wake, given Wake's defensive line isn't nearly as good, I am a lot more confident against this team. Lucas, what about you? Yeah, I'm agreeing with Alex. Definitely keeping Francois up is should be the priority. As long as he can keep the tempo, then they should be good. Well, I, I think it'd be an easy answer to say, and this is a knock against you guys. It'd be an easy answer to say, well, the offensive line has to play well because you know, as long as we've been here at Florida State, we've had to say, well, the offensive line is just not good and it needs to play better. But I think the the the, the next big key that you need to focus on is being able to just score first. You know, Florida State can come back from a game like Wake Forest where you're down 10 nothing, And, of course, it did look very scary for a while. But, of course, Wake Forest did lose to Clemson 63-3. There's a difference in uh, difficulty in opponent there. But, I mean, Florida State has only scored first in two out of their seven games this year. I don't know if you all want to take a guess as to which two games those were. Does anybody want to take a stab at that? Nobody at all? No. Well, one of them was Northern Illinois. The second game, or the second game that they scored first was actually Miami. So Northern Illinois and Miami, two completely different teams in terms of caliber. One game, obviously, Florida State won. One of them, Florida State should have won in retrospect. Transitioning into the Clemson stuff now, I know that we, I know it's like, well, we want to talk about Wake Forest, but everybody really wants to talk about Clemson. So it's kind of hard to pull yourself back when there's just such a, a polarizing game like this. Um, it's going to be a very interesting game, and it has a lot of baseline similarities to the Miami game. As I said earlier, this is a rivalry game, meaning that obviously there's going to be a lot of hard hits, a lot of trash talk, and this is a game that is going to uh, have a lot of people watching it. Nearly everyone has written off Florida State in this game already. I think the spread is at 16 last I checked, so just over two touchdowns. This is a game against one of the top defenses in the nation. We talked a lot about on the show how Florida State's, how Florida State realistically needs a victory against either Notre Dame, Florida, or Clemson to be in a, in a more comfortable position to secure uh, a bowl game berth and keep one of the more important FBS streaks alive. And out of all those three teams, uh, it, it kind of cycled between those three as to who could potentially follow Florida State in a perfect situation. And once upon a time, that team looked to be Clemson. You know, Kelly Bryant lost the starting job a couple weeks ago, decides to transfer, 
then Trevor Lawrence leaves the Syracuse game with a concussion. And, I mean, you can hear the air raid sirens in Clemson from Tallahassee. Like, people were panicking. <laughs> now, things that things have kind of stabilized a little bit. Clemson beat Wake Forest 63-3 two weeks ago, as I just said, and then puts a beating on number 16-ranked NC State this past weekend. I'm just going to go straight forward with this one. Does Florida State have any chance beating Clemson this weekend, Lucas? I think they do. The most important thing I think that they need to do is stop Clemson's run. Travis Etienne especially, he's with his 14 touchdowns, he has almost as he's doing almost as much for their offense as the entire their entire squad of wide receivers. So, he'll definitely be the X factor, I think. Chris well, apparently they have a 10% chance. <laughs> according, apparently, according to ESPN. According to ESPN, they have a 10% chance of coming out of this alive. Um, do they have a chance? They always have a chance. I, I think... So you're saying there's a chance. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I think I think if, the, if everything bodes well for the defense... Um, and if if Florida State can get the the pass going, and even even if Cam Akers can have a few big plays uh, for some extra yardage, uh, they have a chance. Do I think they they win? Realistically, no. Alex, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say that we have um, a high chance at all. But this 16 point spread that people are that I'm seeing on ESPN. I think if you've watched these games in recent years, I think that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, people Vegas, forget. Vegas is having a lot of fun with this one. Yes. People forget that with six minutes last year, on the road against Clemson with a true freshman quarterback, we were driving down the field down by three with six minutes left to go. Right. Uh, Blackman threw an interception in Clemson territory to ice the game, but we were only down by three in uh, crunch time. And I remember that game very well. Uh, I was I was actually outside. Uh, I, I, I traveled to Clemson for that game last year, and I was outside the stadium. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, oh. uh, yeah. So, some of it's a little shady in memory, uh, okay. but but We're you know, um, you, you know. Uh, I remember, but I do remember being at the stadium, being outside the stadium, and just hearing this gigantic roar when Izzo caught that pass, and Florida State just got rejuvenated into that game, and of course. It, it did not go Florida State's way, Blackburn, obviously, as Alex just said, through that interception to kind of seal it. But when it comes to this year's game, again, I, I'm i going to agree with Chris, and it's not a, a very I'm, – I'm taking the easy ride on this one and saying that I don't think that Florida State is going to win this game. But the small sliver of me that thinks that Florida State has a chance to win this game is because Trevor Lawrence really hasn't had a good road test this game as a starting quarterback. You know, he did play versus Texas A&M in week two. He came in sometime in the second half after Kelly Bryant had already played a majority of the game. And, you know, once you come in, I mean, obviously it's very rattling whenever you come into a game as a replacement quarterback. But things were a little bit different, I think, in that situation. It, obviously, Texas A&M and Clemson doesn't have the historical significance that Florida State Clemson has. It's not going to I don't think that atmosphere is going to be as nasty as Dope Campbell is going to be on Saturday afternoon. So Trevor Lawrence, I think, has a very real possibility of not playing well, and that does give the Florida State's defense a little bit of an edge to kind of get themselves going. And uh, in turn, it's going to kind of get the cogs running, and it's going to get uh, Florida State's offense kind of in a position to maybe make some plays and maybe make this a game. I Again, with Alex, I don't try. I don't oh, think. I, I think they'll make it a game. They'll definitely make it a game. Uh, they should make it a game. <laughs> they should make it a game. But uh, I, I don't trust that 16-point that spread. I think Vegas is having a lot of radical fun with that one. 
Um, I, d I don't think that it's going to be necessarily two touchdowns away, but you know, you never know. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of all sports, no matter whether it's college football, college basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever. We are at the halfway mark right now. We're going to finish up talking Clemson and some predictions on the other side of the break. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Say it right now, but it's not the time. I see those friendly faces, but they only make me anxious. I could shout it out loud in the crowded space. People have been hoping, but I've never been that open. There's not much left to do, even less to say. But glue together moments just to throw them all away. Am I looking for a change? Wait a minute. Something tells me different, but I know it never ends. I've been here before. Don't you know it's all the same? I've been here before. Don't you know you're not to blame for feeling? This head won't quiet down for a single thought. I'm all circle psychopathic, barely up. I just forgot that I could say it right now. I can make a dime. People have been hoping and finally breaking open. Back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We left you on the other side talking our early thoughts about the Clemson versus Florida State matchup and what that holds this Saturday at noon. A noon kickoff, not exactly typical of a rivalry game of this standard. I know some people have been kind of gibbering about why this is a noon game, but it, it, when it, back in reality, you know, when you take a look at how Florida State has performed this season, it kind of makes sense as to why this is not, maybe not the 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 prime time game and especially when you see the types of matchups that are happening this next week in college football I mean, it doesn't have to be prime time but could you give us 3 30 maybe at least at least have a little bit of darkness yeah. outside by the time the game but you over. also got to consider the other college football games going on and and you know i, I guess it is what it is it's fine 
So we'll be in the press box. We we will be in the press box with air conditioning. It's going to be great. Although it, it, I mean, it was really nice outside today. It was. It was I think it was sixty eight degrees love or something. This weather. Oh, it's fantastic. It, it's it's that that tiny time in Florida where we can actually say that there is a season change. Yes. And from somebody who grew up for, in South Florida in Fort Lauderdale for eighteen years of his life. That feels really good to say. Yeah, in, in California, <laughs> we say we have summer and, it's then, a dry and then colder summer. <laughs> colder summer. <laughs> we don't get a summer. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> back to the game. Um, of course, we've talked that we, we, I mean, we talk about the offensive line of Florida State nearly every single week on this show. I mean, it's inevitable at this point. So when you take a look at who they are facing this week in a Clemson front forward that is very, very scary to play against. They're always very scary to play against if you're a Florida State fan, especially if you're an offensive lineman, especially an offensive lineman for Florida State that has not had that continuity that we've been preaching about on the show week after week. Brady Scott, and I, I can't remember who else got hurt during the course of the game. Maybe somebody can fact check that for me. But there were a couple of offensive linemen that went down. They did return, but that offensive line, the point that I'm getting at, is still not healthy. So what can we reasonably predict for how this offensive line is going to fare? I, I'll give you an over-under of sacks allowed because I, I don't think there's an, any chance in hell that Florida State escapes this game without conceding a sack. Do we want to go over-under of four or more? Or we take the over or the under? Uh, actually, you know what? Give me the under. I'm, I'm going to I'm give it to me at three. I'm, I'm, my prediction is three sacks. At three sacks? What do you guys think? I think it definitely has the potential to go over especially if we can't get things started right away and get a balanced running and passing attack going pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm going to call it at about three sacks. I am the only one that is taking uh, over. I think it's going to reach upwards to five or six sacks. I don't think that the offensive line excuse me, is going to have a very good day at all, and that's more, more than likely going to be the downfall of Florida State in this game against the Clemson Tigers. So it's about that time. Predictions for Clemson and Florida State – what do y'all got for me? 50 to 40. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we might be wearing that out just a little bit. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. just a little but bit. But only because I miss Grant. I miss um, Grant, too. <laughs> uh, give, uh, let's say 38 to 21 Clemson. Call me 35-24. 35-24. Alex? I think it might be a little bit more low scoring. I'm kind of thinking 21 to 13. A couple of Ricky kicks. A couple of Ricky kicks. Ricky... Oh, that's a that's a bold call. He, I mean, that's he surprised me. He had a fifty yarder last game. Yeah, but then he missed like what a thirty five. He did. That's the crazy part. So we just gotta make sure we don't get too close to the goalpost for him. <laughs> we'll we'll make him kick a sixty yard field goal, but we're not gonna let him kick anything under twenty. We'll we'll just we'll just that's <laughs> veto that. Oh boy, this this is this is not fun for me to pick because. As somebody who is, I, I've been to nearly every single Florida State Clemson game that has existed over the past three years. I know I, I have watched these teams grow and mature and subside, especially when you talk about Florida State. And I've already said I don't think I really don't think there. I mean, there's a chance that Florida State wins this game, but I don't think it's going to happen. And I think it's going to snowball late. Rivalry game will keep this game close for a long while. I think. I'd be surprised if it's maybe 21 to 20 or somewhere down around the third quarter, but I think mistakes are going to pile up. I think the defense is going to get tired chasing around Travis Entian and Trevor Lawrence all day. 
and I think that by the end, towards the fourth quarter, there's going to be some costly turnovers and mistake that make this more of a blowout than the actual game would have represented. So I'm going to take Clemson 40 to 21. So, that being that, there have been a couple of other things in the college football world that happened. Not as much as last week. Last week was a lot of, that was an absolute whirlwind. There were a lot of upsets, a lot of movement along the AP poll. But I think the biggest thing that happened this weekend, and we've already talked about this school a lot on the show, especially with all the controversy early in the year. You could probably guess where, guess where, I'm, guess where, I'm, guess where I'm going. State is in the news again. <laughs> Talk about the week or so that they've had. They've, they've lost Nick Bosa. Probably one of their best defensive player. Mm-hmm. He's foregoing the rest of his season to heal up and train and go to the, the NFL Combine. Then, this team loses to Purdue by 29 points. That's a lot of points. <laughs> That's like not like a, a committee game where it's say, well, it was a good loss for this football team. They lost by maybe a field goal of a couple of plays, had gone their way, they, you know, blah, 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 blah. This was a 29-point loss. Like yeah, that, that's probably what AP poll right. people sound like. Right. Um, perfect impression right there. But this was a loss by 29. This is a bad loss. And now reports are rising. Uh, the reports are coming out that there is rising tension between Urban Meyer and Ohio State. Where does this leave Ohio State in terms of the playoffs? Is this loss bad enough to keep them out of the playoffs for good, Lucas? Yes, it is. I don't think that they are going to make the playoffs after this, especially if Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame can stay undefeated. Then you have teams, other teams like LSU and Michigan, whose losses weren't as bad. But losing like that, getting routed by an unranked team, is going to be their downfall. Alex? I mean, just looking at the regular season schedule, they really only have one more chance at a a top 10 win. It's against Michigan at Michigan. And Michigan actually looks good this year. This could be the year that Michigan actually beats Ohio State. Uh, I don't. Jake Mossing, Jake Mossing in the that. back is, ha- and I'm not having it. I'm like probably, and of course it sucks because my gr- my grandparents are their alma mater is Michigan, mm-hmm. and they're probably um, writing me out of the will right now. But Michigan is not. I don't think they're that good, especially the teams that they have beaten within the top 25. Yes. Penn State has always been a good program, but it looks like they've receded a bit this year. Michigan State, from the very beginning of the season, I was like, why are you here? You're not invited to this party. You shouldn't be at the party. And I think they've lost three games now on the season. I don't think the top 25 teams that they've beaten have been that good. They did beat Wisconsin, but then again, Alex Hornerbrook, I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. It's Michigan is one of those weird cases where I take a look at what's happened, and there's always that one kind of thing that just makes me go, eh. And it's just, eh, that like that for me would be a, a game changer for it's it's either the fact that well Wisconsin doesn't ha- exactly have the best offense in the world Penn State has already lost to Ohio State and they haven't looked that great when it comes down to those clutch moments where the good programs are separated from the great programs and then you look at Michigan State where I'm just like yes it's a rivalry game you were tied seven seven for a majority of this game and you won by two touchdowns yeah you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That extra, yeah. How 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 great? I I I know it's probably not going to happen, but how great would it be if, if Scott Frost beat Ohio State at Ohio State? I want to <laughs> know what you're taking, and can I have some? Because, because, Thank you for saying that a lot more quietly. I, than you did the first yeah, time. because <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, all the love in the world for Scott Frost, especially with what he was able to do at UCF. But I mean, he's he's probably going to get his second win of the season this next weekend at Bethune Cookman. But I uh, well, no no they play next. No, I'm saying I'm saying they they do play this next weekend. Right. Yeah. But but I'm right. saying they're they're going to get the w- 
Gotcha. Let's just uh, I think let's just be happy with the fact that they won a game. Yes. Maybe maybe two or three this season. Uh, but in, in, in your in your crazy world, uh, <laughs> I didn't. Again, I said it's probably not going to happen. I'm just. Saying, I'm I'm glad you prefaced. I can it dream. <laughs> I can dream, right? Uh, Luke Fay came in before the show, and he he said to me, Nick, I want to I want to take ten seconds uh, out of your time on the show to make a comment, my 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 weekly comment about UCF, and I don't know if he's in the back right now. I think he's in the he's in the. Uh, oh. Here he comes. He no no he's in, he's in the tank. Is he in the tank? He's in oh the he tank. is in the tank. So, I think he's on the sports one. Luke, what what exactly is it that you wanted to say? Well, I, I just want to comment on um, how last week Oklahoma um, beat a good bye team and uh, jumped ahead of UCF in the rankings uh, after beating bye, the bye. And Florida this week, congrats them for beating bye and jumping two spots from 11 to 9 against UCF. Uh, so uh, what, what do you guys think about uh, being ranked top 10 just for the ESPN matchup uh, college game day? Uh, Georgia and Florida. Well, I, I think Florida, and this this is going to sound so biased, but it's really not. I think Florida's always kind of had a very nice lighting when it comes to the AP poll. They've always gotten a couple, I think, a couple of higher rankings than they're actually worth. But, I mean, obviously this Florida team this year has definitely has something else to it. There's definitely a little bit of spice, a little pizzazz. But in that context, then moving up on a bye week while UCF did play and and didn't move at all and didn't exactly well. move at all. But again, um, they, they I don't think they played a good enough team to warrant any movement. Um, Luke Fay is coming through the the studio door to choke me out as we speak for that comment. <laughs> but I, I I do think it's a, it's 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 a little weird that Florida jumped up in the in the rankings uh, when they when they didn't even play. Did do you guys have any? Differing opinions on that. Uh, disappointed, but not surprised. Um, you know, moving up an SEC team instead of a, a G5 team, uh, not exactly shocking to me. So, so <laughs> Wait, Luke, Luke really, really wants to mention the fact that UCF started their, their backup quarterback and still won by 27. <laughs> he felt that that was... And that, that is, that's the, the Luke Fay fact of the day. The, <laughs> the Luke Fay UCF fact of the day. Maybe we can make that a segment of some kind. Uh, but taking a look at the top ten right now, I think I think it's... Maybe it's still a little bit too early, guys, but maybe we can just start taking a look at what the college football playoffs is going to be like. I already asked Lucas earlier uh, about what he thought of the Ohio State loss and where that placed them and whether it permanently moved them uh, out of contention for the college football playoff. But looking at the top ten right now, I'm just going to read this off here. Uh, number one, Alabama. Then we have Clemson, Notre Dame, LSU, Michigan, Texas, Georgia, Oklahoma, Florida, UCF. Out of all those teams, who do you like? Who's making the playoffs this year? Stanford makes a run for it. At, no, no, okay. I'm just messing <laughs> with you. No. <laughs> um, honestly, I I kind of like the top four right now. I uh, Michigan, like I, I I agree with you. I don't think Michigan's really gonna make it throughout the rest throughout the rest the remainder of the season georgia's kind of been a disappointment texas I, i'm still i'm still looking out for them I, I think just in terms and i think that this is a factor it's just of the talk i think talk sure. definitely has an impact on where teams are placed it's like yeah who, how much traction is this team getting i think georgia's biggest downfall is that nobody has said anything about georgia this entire season in retrospect in comparison to other teams i think i think georgia before they lost to lsu they were really kind of an under the radar top team, and nobody sure. really talked about them. And they, now you see them at number yeah, seven that, in the AP poll. That twenty poll. point loss 
to LSU is pretty much the only downside that they've had. I I, I could see them making a, a late late season run for that four spot. Uh, maybe even Oklahoma too, but I, I think I think Georgia more so than Oklahoma. Alex. Yeah, I like the top uh, three as it is right now. Alabama obviously is a lock. Clemson's not playing anyone the rest of the season. Um, besides Florida State, this besides uh, Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if Clemson can get can get past that uh, that juggernaut, I see them into the one team that's not in the top four right now that I think could jump in, and I don't know if they're going to take over Notre Dame spot or LSU spot is Georgia, actually. They still have an SEC championship potentially to play for. They still have uh, number nine, Florida, and they're at uh, number 13, Kentucky. Um, I love their running back, Evander Holyfield's son. I think he's great. They have opportunities. Speaking of Kentucky, I mean, they've had a really uh, just a dark horse, a Cinderella kind of season of sorts, and they're at number 12 right now in the, the AP poll, and they're at 14 in the coaches' poll. Do you think they're, Lucas, do you think they're kind of in the same position that UCF was in last year? They're kind of just on that outside bubble looking in, although they're a really good team. Do you think there's any chance that they kind of creep up and maybe nab one of those last four spots, or is that just kind of uh, the, the, the cherry on top to a Cinderella story that won't happen? Yeah, I think that that's a little must. They're definitely like UCF last year, but I don't think that their schedule warrants them moving into top four. I like the top four as well. I, I think right now that's a very, very solid picture. But I think when you when you, when you you take a look at who's played who thus far, I think Notre Dame has had a stronger season than both Clemson and LSU. I think LSU, that loss to Florida, was more of just them losing than Florida winning. Mm-hmm. And obviously LSU showed that with how dominant they've been. They did beat Mississippi State this past weekend. It was a little bit more of a low-scoring game, but I think they they truly they got they got they got a couple of turnovers on defense, and that defense is really good, and that might carry them uh, to through to and through the playoffs this year. But overall, that's about everything that happened in college football this past weekend. Of course, I think the big story was just how badly Ohio State got their butts beaten um, by Purdue, and they had a, they had a similar loss last year, I think, to Iowa, if that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they did. I think they still made the playoff afterward, didn't they? And then they got. They got beat by Clemson, thirty-one to nothing. Right. Or maybe that was Miami. Was it, no, was it Oklahoma? Who knows? Uh, Chris is Chris is a baseball guy. Let's yeah, just exactly. let's just call it at that. Why anyways, anyways, but what what we, what we are sure of, and I know of course this is a quick fact check thing, but you know you, sometimes something slips through. I mean, we spend a couple hours preparing at a time, and there's a couple facts that, that slip through every once in a while. But one thing that we are sure of is that. Iowa did have a really big victory over Ohio State in a similar time of the season last year that uh, kind of rattled some Ohio State fans and their plans in getting into the college football playoffs. So that's definitely, that, that, that football team in particular is definitely going to be one that a lot of people are going to be focused on. But with that being said, obviously it's the middle of football season. We talk a lot of football here. Um, and everybody is putting everything in on the NFL and college football, but it's not the only sport around. Hockey just started its season, and, as well as the NBA just started theirs, and it didn't take long, but we've had our first fight of the season, and man, <laughs> I'm not quite sure that this is quite the spiritual successor to the Mouse of the Palace, but it's probably the closest thing we'll get into uh, general predictions here in a second, but I just want to get everybody's take on that first. We'll start with you, Lucas. Yeah, that was quite the brawl. I don't know, you know, I don't know how to really think about it, but all I know is the suspensions were warranted. The suspensions were warranted, even for Chris Paul. Oh, I mean, 
He still threw a punch. He still yes. threw a punch, and it's that is in these times in the NBA an automatic suspension. No matter and who you are, it doesn't matter. Although I'm not defending Rondo, Paul was the one that put his hand on Rondo's face first. So, but Rondo, but Rondo did spit. Yeah, yeah. Rondo did spit in Chris Paul's face, and those two have have never liked each other since even when Chris Paul was on the Hornets. And how, and how many people have gotten along with with Rondo? <laughs> well, even on even teammates, even teammates. <laughs> I, I I remember that. I don't know if you remember this specifically, but I remember. I think he was with the Mavericks when he got traded um, that one season, and he was just not having it. And he actually gave up like during the game. It was like, like the like, last game of like the Jimmy season. Butler status. Well, like. <laughs> not quite Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy Butler is is he, he's. I'm not going to say the scapegoat, mm-hmm. but he is definitely. I think he's more been a. Okay, I'm not seeing the type of production I want. I'm going to be the guy that busts everybody's balls, so to speak, to get the team to where it's supposed to be. And I'm going to use, I'm going to sacrifice my personal image uh, and maybe maybe get some rock, locker room rumblings in order to get Carl Anthony Towns to play better, in order to get Andrew Wiggins to play better. Whereas Rajon Rondo, I think it's a little bit more selfish <laughs> and personal than just that. I think Jimmy Butler's all about winning and when in the situation that's going on in Minnesota right now and uh, what Rajon Rondo did with the Mavericks a couple of years ago was very personal and very, very, I don't want to be here. Please get me out of here. Um, <laughs> but Alex, what were your thoughts on the fight? What, what... I mean, thank God we got some drama before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's probably, it could possibly be a preview of the Western conference semifinals. And here we are already with the drama game. What four or five of the season. Uh, I think it's like the th- three. I think that, that, yeah, that was game. I think it was like three or that something. That was the second game for the Lakers. I know that it was LeBron's home home, home day home debut, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I I personally love this fight. I I I I I I know it's not good to encourage this kind of thing, but I I really found this entertaining just because of how much history is behind it. I already said, Rondo and Paul have never liked each other, right? And I feel like the NBA has been very lacking in those types of I don't like you, I want to punch you in the face kind of rivalries. Uh, I can't. I, I don't know. I f- I feel like that. Granted, has it always escalated there? No, but I think, I think you've seen that kind of. Tension well, this on is the, the first time that we've seen this kind of tension since the Clippers were biting at each other's necks a couple of years <laughs> ago. I I I just love the drama that's come out of this fight, and I don't know about the rest of you, but. I, of course, the suspensions are, are absolutely warranted, but I think the person out of all of this that I like the most that did this is Brandon Ingram, and he got the worst suspension. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that Brandon Ingram is such a fiery player that he is going to go up to the MVP of the league and he is going to shove him aside and, and get in his face. And let's be honest, that's a lot of what Harden's game entails to begin with. It's the fact that I'm going to drive on you, I'm going to draw contact, and I'm going to go to the line, and there's nothing you can do about it. And mm-hmm. that can be very, very frustrating. But I love the fact, I don't know about the rest of you, that Brandon Ingram just got pushed against the stanchion, and he came back and he pushed James Harden right back. Mm-hmm. Sure, he shouldn't have thrown the extra punch. That probably dropped it from, or raised it rather from two games to four games. But with that being said, I really like the fight there's drama in the league again it makes it a lot more interesting especially in a time when you know that the warriors are going to win the championship 
again and we're really just waiting till june july to mm -hmm. see them raise the trophy for a third year in a row at least what i th that's what i think but maybe you all have some different opinions i know we're only four games into the season thus far but what are you all looking at what what teams do you think are going to be good what teams do you think are going to fall off this season alex i'll start with you um after just a couple games into the season for whatever reason i feel like the jazz could possibly be up there in the western conference finals Really? I think, I think the Rockets took a little step back. I feel like they lost a little bit of their defense. Um, signing Carmelo Anthony is kind of a weird move to me. You don't like that move? No. Uh, signing Carmelo Anthony, I think that um, I think he's too much of a, I don't want to be simplistic and say ball hog, but it's very hard to run an offense around him if he's not your first player. I think I think he I don't know if you agree with this. I think he holds a lot of the same qualities that Russell Westbrook has in Oklahoma City, and why that Russell Westbrook has never been able to win. Would you agree with that? Um, I agree. I mean, when you're, it's possible to be good enough to where you have those qualities, but I mean, like look at LeBron. He's he was the best player on Cleveland for years, and he constantly brought them championships. But Carmelo is way past his prime. He has no business being the number one option for a team. Well, I don't think I don't think he's, a no, he's the number one option for the team. Well, Anyways, right. but I, I get what you're saying, and and it's it's really a I I know we never talked about this, but I really think that I, I agree with you. I think Carmelo to the Rockets was really just not a good move for the Rockets. It's adding a piece for the sake of adding a piece, and this is the piece that's going to overload the Camels back here, and that's I think it's what's going to break it because Carmelo Anthony has always been a first option guy. He doesn't have the talent to be a first option guy anymore. He, but he has the the mental side of the game that he 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 believes he is the first option guy, and that's kind of the issue with Carmelo Anthony, and that's the reason why I agree with you. I think the Rockets are going to take kind of a back seat, but why the Jazz in particular? Why do you think why do you think that they're going to the con? I mean, the conference finals, they have to beat a lot of good teams to get there. Yeah, I mean, they kind of showed a little bit of magic last year. They were one of those dark horse teams that people thought like if it's not. The Rockets, it's going to be them. I mean, we already know the Warriors, it's going to be the Warriors. But and hey, look, look at what they did to the Warriors uh, in, their, in the second game. They they had some almost like a twenty point lead, and then the Warriors did what the Warriors do and came back and won it on a last second put back. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. The Jazz look the Jazz are looking really good. If you want to talk about teams that recently beat the Warriors, the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets have been kind of stuck in development hell. For the past couple of seasons, they traded away Yusuf Nurkic to the Trailblazers last season, and I thought he was a, a great young piece, and I think he's going to do very well in Portland. I think Portland itself is going to have another very good year. I think Terry Stotts is going to potentially win Coach of the Year um, just because of what Portland is right now. They're they're kind of in a very similar position that the Hawks are in, or the ha the Hawks were in almost a decade ago. We remember with the Josh Smith era where they were almost getting themselves into that la that later stage of the playoffs, but they weren't quite there. And I think, of course, Portland did get bounced. I th they got swept um, last last season in the playoffs. Right. But I think that Portland definitely is going to have a good year. But back to the Nuggets, I think uh, Jokic is going to absolutely explode this year. I think he's going to be an all-star this year. I think he's going to be great for that team. And, of course, Isaiah Thomas is one of the most, is still continually to be underrated. I know that he's coming off an injury. I know he's coming off a lot of drama with the past two teams that he's been on, of course, with the Celtics and then going to Cleveland and having not having that um, lazy Susan, uh, that cycle of players not work, exactly work out. But I think Isaiah Thomas and Nikola Jokic are going to um, 
really have a great year for Denver. And they, they did pull off a, a victory last, I think it was last night or maybe the night before against the Warriors. And, of course, the Warriors have their own struggles right now. And how can a, how could a team that basically is Team USA have struggles? Well, I remember when LeBron first came to Miami, and I'm sure, Lucas, you remember this, you being a Miami fan, as I said at the top of the show, there was only one ball. And it's kind of hard to share it sometimes. So, how? I mean, the Warriors are the Warriors. Durant's going to get his. Thompson's going to get his. Steph, Steph Curry's going to get his. But is is DeMarcus Cousins kind of just going to become, I guess, the four, let's see, there's, there's five on the court, so I guess he would be the fifth wheel? I don't know. Is he just kind of like off to the side? And maybe that's kind of what's causing some of the, the, the dissension right now? Yeah, I think that um, he might be... He might be too much of a strong presence with all the other starters on the on the court at the same time. So I think he's be better left off as a bench option. You think he should be on the bench? Yeah. Over okay. Who who would who would be in his place? I would still put Iguodala in his place. To be honest, he fits well within their offense. We've seen that. So I would leave it and I would leave it as that. So you would you would have like extra small. You would have. I mean, because Durant is. is think six ten, six eleven, so he'd essentially be the tallest person on the court with Draymond Green being so small. So you're, so you're saying like extra small lineup. Yeah. Alex. I mean that's what the NBA is rolling with right now, and that's kind of why I think um Cousins would be the fifth wheel, because first of all, I mean who wouldn't be the fifth wheel with that roster? Right. And then also just because of the um perimeter offense slash defense that they run, it's you're gonna be the fifth wheel when you're a post player. So obviously, the, everybody everybody that's uh, considered uh, an elite talent appears to be in the West right now. But of course, there are two conferences. There is the Eastern Conference, and of course, the Celtics are back and better than ever. They're back in black, uh, so to speak. Uh, get some ACDC rolling, and they have all of their pieces right now. And how scary do they look? It, it Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, not to mention the exploding stars of Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier that they had last year. You said earlier in the show, Warriors, or that might have been that might have been during break, but Warriors versus Celtics in the finals. Is there anybody? And I'm, I'm asking both of you here. Is there anybody that you think will surprise you in the East? Yeah, I did say the Warriors and the Celtics in the finals, and I do believe that. But I do think that the Raptors. They so far have shown this season that they have a chance. You know, in the offseason when they got Kawhi Leonard, I wasn't sure how he'd fit in the offense, especially with Lowry being so used to having DeRozan with him. I didn't know how that would fit, but so far it's looked pretty good. So I think they're a team to definitely look out for. Alex? Um, I probably have to agree. It's got to be Toronto. I mean, first of all, they're the thorn in their side. LeBron James is now in the West. That was pretty much – they could have beat any team in the in the East last year possibly with um that roster especially with Kyrie and Hayward out um and now they got Kawhi Leonard and I wouldn't count out any team with Kawhi Leonard even if the other team on the other side of the court has um Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward another team that's going to be heavily affected as we're dangerously dangerously low on time I think another team that's going to be really affected by LeBron leaving is going to be Milwaukee they've kind of had the same situation that Toronto's had not necessarily the, the, the most impact because it seems like Toronto is always coming to LeBron in the playoffs and Milwaukee's kind of just been again there but not quite there and now Giannis coming into I think is it his third or his fourth season um, let's say he has some years under him now and he's got and he's definitely the bona fide leader of this team and I think that Milwaukee can do some special things this year uh, just quickly is there anybody that is not taking Warriors Celtics in the finals speak now or forever hold your peace 
I'm looking around, I'm looking around, there is nobody here, so I think that is the end of the NBA predictions for now. I know it's super early, but it's something to talk about. We kind of glossed over it last week, but so we had to kind of shoehorn it this week. We are over time, we are out of time, and we are just about done here. Time. Re- we, it's time. It's it is time. It's time to go. Uh, new releases up next. For Lucas, for Alex, for Chris, and for myself, Nick Carlisle, you've been listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee. The voice of Florida State new release is up next.